Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Ladig. And a couple quick housekeeping items. <laughs> I wasn't going to share this, but my brain just kind of engaged all of a sudden. Um, so I was going through uh, uploading the recordings of the show, and I haven't been super great at that uh, lately, but I uploaded last week's and the week before. And as I was going through the the recording numbers, they were consistent, but yet there were certain shows that I know I taught that are not there. So what I discovered was that there are two missing episodes <laughs> and somehow I got the numbering scheme wrong. So um, I'm hoping to be able to get all of that corrected here in the next several days so that um, instead of the current show being whatever it is, um, it'll actually be two more. Uh, because I think I'm missing the uh, the one where I was talking about um, swear words and magic wands. I think that one is missing and the toys of our youth. Those two, I think, are the ones that are missing based on my little bit of research here before we went live. So anyway, I will um, get that updated and uh, do my best to try to keep on top of all of that because I know some of you are unable to attend live and so you rely on recordings or sometimes you're not. Uh, and I want to make sure that the content is available because it's pretty fun to talk about and, you know, the discussions and everything that we have, I really appreciate so, I wanted to tell you about that. Now, um, today's topic is forgotten history, and I thought that it would be kind of curious to, to revisit this again. I've talked some about some of this before in different, um, different shows from the past, and, uh, Probably not to the level of detail that I want to get into today, but it's uh, when it comes to history and what I mean by forgotten history, I'll explain as we go along. But one of the things that I think about constantly, uh, personally, is history. I'm like immersed in it. And to be honest with you, I don't fully understand why, but the more I explore, like even my own youth and everything and stuff that I found fascinating even when I was young. In one form or another, it seems to all tie into history, you know, and some people really don't care about history at all. Um, and I think that's fine. Uh, I'm constantly drawn to it. So I, I do um, uh, genealogy research uh, at, at least probably 10 to 20 hours a week, I would say, uh, pretty consistently in one form or another, whether it's my family or something else. And then I also do a lot of historical research um, on our local town, uh, Chambersburg. Uh, and that's mostly product creation driven. Uh, but I'm also fascinated with, you know, um, the those different types of things of history, because if you think about it, like, one of the things that I've been researching lately has been the um, the Civil War battles uh, that have happened around the region. Not so much Gettysburg, uh, 
because that's heavily documented. But some of the battles that aren't so documented or some of the incursions into Pennsylvania, for instance, by the Confederates, um, which aren't necessarily as well documented unless you really dig for that information. And um, I'm damn good at research. I mean, I just am. And I'm not saying that to brag. I don't understand why I am. I just, my brain is wired that way. Uh, and uh, so I've been finding a lot of really cool things uh, related to history that way. And of course, even like with what Kristen and I watch on television, a couple of our favorite shows are like The Last Kingdom, which is about uh, 9th century England and King Alfred and, you know, how England was unified. Uh, it's a really well-written show. Um, and then we also watch um, uh, Outlander, which is, you know, 1700s. Now they're in the U.S., but they were in Scotland and France and other places. But there's just something about it. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of it kind of speaks to why I'm so fascinated with history. It isn't so much all the stuff that's happened before us, um, even though it is. Um, and And it's just kind of curious. It's more about. How much information, if you look at history from an information perspective, how much information is gone? You know, I mean, think about it. There's what, seven, over seven billion people on the planet right now. Each of us have moment by moment experiences throughout our entire lives. But let me ask you a question. Out of everything that you've experienced, uh, throughout your life. Many of us here are older, meaning over the age of 50. Not all, perhaps, but many of us. Um, so over the 50 plus years that you've been on the planet, um, you've lived 24-7, right? 24-7, 365 for 50 plus, 60 plus years. How much of that do you remember? It's part of your history, but how much of it do you remember? let alone siblings, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, you know. Um, chances are likely that you had countless interactions with different family members, whether it's your parents or siblings or aunts and uncles or whatever. How much do you remember those? It's all, it all happened, right? It's all history, but what do you remember? Um, whenever, uh, I guess it was last week, one of the days that mom was over for breakfast and we are talking about a picture that I had posted on Facebook like three years ago. And I have this aunt who was, um, she's kind of married in as an aunt. Um, she's my, um, my uncle's first wife. And, uh, so my mom's sister-in-law, I guess you would call her. And, you know, typical West Virginia gal, very, I don't know, she's just very interesting, we'll say, <laughs> in an effort to be as respectful as possible. Um, but she's very interesting. And she was commenting about one of these photos that I posted years ago that showed my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my great-great-grandmother. And I had talked about three generations, and she was kind of, in a playful way, contesting that fact which of course she's wrong. Um, 
but still, it just kind of alludes to how she is as a person. Um, but anyway, I was thinking about that, and my mom and I were talking about my great-great-grandmother. Um, her name was Rosetta Kirby, and uh, she and I share the same birthday. Um, not by year, but the month and the day, April 6th, um, and, which I always thought was intriguing. And I had the opportunity to meet her a couple times when I was young. Um, I was probably somewhere between six and eight, uh, something like that. At a couple family reunions, and then um, later we went to visit her when she was ill and stuff like that. And what's interesting is here's this person, you know, my great grandmother born in the 1800s. And um, even though I interacted with her, talked with her, um, sat with her and, you know, all of that as a kid, I wasn't really into hanging out, hanging out with like really old people, I guess. And now that I'm older, it's like, man, what I wouldn't give to be able to go back and sit with them. But what's interesting is, even though I had time with her, I, I remember very, very little, like snapshots. And you can say, well, yeah, it's a long time ago, and you were young, and you didn't care, and whatever. And a lot of that is certainly true. But even my dad, I mean, you know, so uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks on February 2nd is the 10th anniversary of my dad's passing. And... First of all, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years. Kind of crazy. But, um, you know, I spent all of my years up until the time he passed. So I'm 56. So 46 years I spent with him um, up until that time. Now, not every moment of the day, obviously. But it's interesting. You know, I find memories fade uh, over time. And history between he and I has been relegated to little more than snapshots. And it's not that I don't have a good memory or anything like that. It's just that our conscious mind doesn't have the capability of processing a lot of data. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You know, we have millions of points of data that come into us from all of our different senses every moment that we're alive every second. And so you have millions of points of data coming in. Our conscious mind can process about a thousand of those or maybe 2000 tops. And so does that mean that all the other stuff we're not picking up at all? No, we're still picking it up. It's still there in our subconscious or perhaps even in our unconscious minds. It's just accessing it. You know, sometimes it's trigger points and you probably had the experience where um, you know, there's something that you hadn't thought about in years, you know, and even if you had tried to think about it, it probably wouldn't have come up. And then all of a sudden you smell a smell or you just see something or somebody says something that triggers this memory that boom, you know, all of a sudden it seems to come out of nowhere. Well, it's not nowhere. It's, it's within you. But then, you know, you take it a step further. Um, so the memories that we have of history past, is it just our history or do we remember more? You know, those are who are of the opinion that, um, 
reincarnation is a thing, chances are that some of us have lived many lives. Um, and of course, you know, without the use of hypnosis or regression or anything like that, in many cases, we have no memory of that. But yet there's also other reports of like children who know details that there's no way they would normally know where they can describe other people. And perhaps you've seen some of those reports. They're incredibly fascinating. Um, and then there's other people that maybe have only been to this planet one time or maybe 20 times. I'm probably an old soul. You know, I don't think this is my first, uh, my first horse race. I think I've been around a lot, uh, different times just because of how I'm programmed and what my interests are and stuff. But, but there's others, you know, like first time here, um, just kind of enjoying the show, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But think about this. Uh, and this is something that I think about, especially watching these history shows. Um, let's go back even one generation. Well, let's make it interesting. Let's go back like three or four generations. So in my genealogy research right now, um, I'm digging around at about four to five generations back from me. Um, and it's interesting, like, um, just this past week, I got an email from 23andMe letting me know about some new DNA matches, which half the time I ignore it because it's like, oh, great, I have another fifth cousin. Hooray, <laughs> you know. But this one was really interesting because here is this woman who lives... 15 miles from me right now. And uh, she has 12.2% of my DNA, which puts her on the level of first cousin. And I have no idea who she is. And she, you know, says that she never knew her father. So I'm thinking, of course, you know, one of my uncles was uh, a bit randy, <laughs> you know, whenever he was young. Um, but in essence, it could also be once removed. So like um, either my grandfather or my mom's side or my dad's side, who him I don't really know a huge amount about, never met him, never saw pictures, anything like that. They could have conceived another child out of wedlock and this gal is their daughter. You know, so it, it's just interesting history because... Um, well, first of all, my mom's dad had a reputation for that kind of silliness. So it, it's indeed possible. Um, so I've reached out to this uh, lady. She's a couple years older than me, and I haven't heard back from her yet. But um, if you go back just a few generations, you know, like I see these names and I'm familiar with them, like past my great-grandparents. So we're talking great-great-grandparents. Um, you know, I see these names and... I know them because of the thousands of hours of genealogy research that I've done. And on some occasions I've seen a couple photos, but that's it. But they lived entire lives and that's all gone for the most part. You know, maybe some of them wrote journals if they exist. I don't know where they are. Um, photography wasn't as much of a thing back then, you know, um, so there's 
except in, in some cases, there's really not a lot of photographs that we see past the mid-1800s. Um, I mean, the technology was still in development then, but it only goes back so far. So if you have relatives in the 1700s, you're not going to see what they look like or anything like that unless somebody was doing exact portraits, and that was an extreme high privilege. Uh, and so, um, except for recorded history, such as it is, it's all lost. You know, and so there's like stories that even happen 150 years ago. Like I've been reading treasure stories and stuff like that, um, which has been really fun. And so you have these stories of treasure being buried 150, 200 years ago, which in reality doesn't seem like a huge amount of time. But yet. Anything could have happened. You don't even know if it's real or not. It could have been making, you know, made up over. A couple beers at a tavern 120 years ago you know there's no way to know for sure um and so what we have happened is as soon as we get back a couple generations history turns into myth and you know whether it's real or not we don't know and these are people in some cases that we're direct descendants from or to get a little weirder could have been us in a previous lifetime you know depending on how we cycle through things and it's just all gone and I can't explain why but that bothers me it bothers me that we've lost so much history uh, and if you think about it you know I'm just talking like just even like people in my local area okay the, you think about the amount of history that's lost when you go back five generations um, but what about the entire world, right? The entire world of people that have lived for Lord knows how long, right? They keep that envelope keeps getting pushed back further and further and further. Um, like even in our area, I mean, um, there's evidence that if you go back uh, 10 to 15, no, 100, no, 10 to 15, I guess, thousand years ago, um, you know, some of there's been some like hunting party uh, remnants found where, you know, a group of hunters came into the area. Well, that long ago, they could have been hunting, you know, it's hard to say because everything changes. Uh, but they found evidence of that. Um, and then, of course, the Native American um, folks that lived in here, the uh, Lenape, were primarily in our area here. But you know, all of those histories, all of the knowledge and wisdom that they had in their time, you know, of the roads that existed in that day, which in some cases are part of our modern roads, the, um, the lessons that they learned and understood from the land, um, you know, medical remedies and different things like that, experiences that they had, all gone. You know, it's all gone. And... I've commented many times for decades that, you know, if heaven and all of that is as we've always been told it is, I really hope they have an awesome Blu-ray collection because I'd love to go back and just watch different parts of history. Um, I think it would be incredibly fascinating. 
uh, just to kind of see where we've come from. The reason why I bring this all up is because we're the result of all that history. You know, even setting aside um, reincarnation and those kinds of things, we're the sum. You know, if you go back 50 generations um, in your own personal, uh, you know, timeline, your own personal genealogy, if you keep going back, you know, mother and father and then their parents and then their parents and all of that, you go back 50 generations, it represents over a billion people that have contributed DNA to who you are today that have contributed history to who you are today. And with the exception of what is residing actually in our DNA, it appears that all that history is gone. Or is it gone? I would love to believe that there are there exists the possibility that somehow we could access some of that. Like to say it's truly, truly gone. I kind of struggle with an absolute statement like that. And of course, you know, some of you have probably done reading on the notion of, um, genetic memory, um, cellular memory, you know, all of those kinds of things just because we can't access it necessarily on demand or remember, it doesn't mean that it's gone. Um, I would venture to guess that perhaps some of the dreams that we have, some of the deja vus that we have, you know, a lot of those types of things could be, um, some of that history trying to resurface, you know, trying to remind us it to like, Whenever the whole plan for humanity was being put into place, whether it was by God through creation or aliens tinkering or, you know, days of future past where, you know, they came from the future to the past to tweak things that had gone horribly wrong a thousand years from now, you know, whatever the case is, um, I wasn't there where they asked my opinion, <laughs> you know, on how memory should be stored or move forward in the history. Nature has an uncanny way of, of keeping it, you know, very often hiding it. It's to me, I found it incredibly intriguing. Like even locally, whenever they're excavating, um, you know, to build a new building or something like that. And they come across this other something that existed before that's like a foot down. And, you know, maybe 150 years ago, there was XYZ there, some kind of building or something, but the foundation is like a foot underground. You know, I always wonder where the hell did all that dirt come from? <laughs> you know, why is it a foot underground? Did it just all kind of sink down thanks to gravity? I mean, that's part of it, I guess, uh, perhaps. But it's just kind of curious to me how, you know, you have layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of civilization. And, um, all of it represents history and it gives us clues. You know, we, we do actually get clues to history, but that's courtesy of the earth, you know, courtesy of nature. 
um, does a hell of a lot better job at preserving history than what we do in our memories. Now, granted, we can record stuff. And there's times where I think about, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 years out from whenever I'm gone. Um, you know, what will be remembered of me, if anything? Uh, you know, will there be an impact that I've had, you know, that will live on 50, 100 years from now? Who's to say? I mean, I'm trying to do things and put things in place, not because I want a name for myself. It's not so much that. And it's not so much because I fear of being forgotten um, or anything like that. It's just, I feel like we're all here on this planet for a reason, and it isn't just to live out our days, and then boom, it's gone. You know, like next, okay, well, you didn't really get done, but probably should have gotten done, so bring in the next round, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's just kind of weird to think like that, but um, yeah, Jess brings up a good point. Um, he says, I believe that there... Uh, that it is there for the finding. However, we must, it must be of some interest to someone to discover the truth. A good example is Custer's Last Stand. Yeah, I mean, we hear things which Custer's Last Stand wasn't that far into the past, but yet there's so many different versions and variations of it, you know, depending on who's telling the story. Uh, so there is some history that can be uncovered. No doubt about it. You just have to look for it. Most people don't care. Um, and like I said earlier, I don't really get that. I don't understand why they wouldn't care. But for me, I think I'm keenly fascinated in it because I've realized or recognized that history does indeed repeat itself. Uh, and there's a reason why it repeats itself. And it, it isn't so much because we're that stupid that we need chance after chance to get it right. I don't know that it's so much that. Maybe it's just because, you know, the record we call time has a scratch in it and it just keeps skipping. And we listen to the same song over and over again, just a different variation on the theme. Um, or it could be that uh, the... Uh, the software that was written that controls humanity has its limits. And the only way they get around it is algorithms that they build into the program so that whenever they repeat, we don't recognize it. Even though it's the same underlying premises that play out over and over and over again. Think archetypes. You know, what if archetypes actually just represent programming? Um that we watch over and over and over again that plays out in all of our lives, generation after generation, but because the variables are different, you know, different name, different location, different person, um, we see it all as different, linear history, right? When in reality, it's all the same history, just different players, different locations, different ways of playing it out. Um, who knows? You know, who knows what's going on with that? Um, the whole damn thing could be an illusion for all we know. Um, I was just thinking the other day, um, you know, there's been folks that have uh, put out a premise uh, at different times of how time works, you know, and we could go back in time. And I've always kind of viewed it 
as like if you look at a a record player or like a a spiral think about like a three-dimensional spiral and you run a, a line right down through that spiral vertically you know and the spiral is just turning kind of like a, an auger bit or something like that you know that you're wanting to drill into the ground i've kind of viewed time that way um and so what that would mean is that if you could go down through that auger you could experience different times different periods of time and of course you know there's always the discussion of um yeah but if you go back in time and you alter the timeline will you know that change the future and that is the big thing and the reality is we'll never really know because if the timeline was changed we would only be familiar with the current timeline the only person who would possibly know that the timeline change would be the person who changed it is that really happening who knows and honestly i don't know that it really matters um i just find it fascinating to think that there is so much of the history that has happened like Again, going back to my hometown, uh, another of the things that I'm researching right now are old maps of the area. And I was reading this uh, county map from 1886, which is, or eight, 1868, sorry, 1868, which is uh, four years after the burning in Chambersburg. And, um, what they did back in the day, whenever they made a lot of those older maps, even if they were surveyed, um, they would record like um, business or house locations and write who lived there or what the business name was. And it's just kind of fascinating to me because like in a few occasions, I recognize names just because of research that I've done. Um, my family, didn't originate from the Chambersburg area. My mom's family was Virginia, West Virginia, and before that, Georgia. Um, they just kind of came up through during the Civil War. My dad's family was over in a different county, north of here. That's where they're all from. And so I don't have any, like, blood relatives in our specific area of Chambersburg um, back more than three generations, I think. I think that's the furthest back it goes. So I don't have personal history in this area, but it's still kind of fascinating because, like, um, I grew up in the town of Upper Strasburg, which is a very small town. Like, I think when I lived there, it was population 500, maybe 400. Um, and that spread out over about a mile and a half. Um, and uh, so not a lot of people... But yet I knew a lot of the stories that were told to me because many of the folks who lived there have lived there for generations. And so I got a chance to hear some of the local town history, which seemed a little, I don't know, at the time, a little dubious because, you know, they talked about the gateway to the West and, you know, all these, uh, you know, from all points East, everybody had to travel through Upper Strasburg. And now, like, they don't even have a, their own store you know, or post office or anything else. 
And so I'm like, yeah, right, sure, you know, <laughs> of course it's it was all important 150, 200 years ago. Um, and still, I, until I started doing the research and discovered that they were absolutely right and that the road that we use to cross the mountain now actually isn't the original road that was there. There was another road that I come to find out was about 30 feet to 50 feet lower um, and off to the left side from where the existing road is now. Um, and people had told me that until I went and actually hiked it, I wasn't sure. And so here's this road that's got trees growing up through it and all that kind of stuff now that you, if you don't know it's there, you would never see it ever. It's forgotten history. But yet for hundreds of years, there were wagon trains and everything else that were crossing the mountain on that particular road. And, uh, and you wouldn't know that now it's just part of history that's pretty much gone. And like, I even think of my own family last year, my, uh, my great uncle, uh, Edro, Edro Baumgartner. Um, he passed and he was the last of my, grandmother's siblings and he was a family historian and so a lot of his uh knowledge and everything he shared with me um and so we went through pictures and identified people and locations and family stories and all that kind of stuff that i was able to get from him over the probably three or four years leading up to when he passed so i'm grateful that i had that time but now a lot of those family stories and history sits with me because all the older ones are now gone. And I, I've started typing them out in some cases and recording them and all of that just so that they, you know, continue forward. But will my grandkiddos or great grandkiddos care? Who knows? You know? So once again, you know, here we are faced with the notion that generations of history is just going to vanish at least from conscious memory not to say that you know it won't be stored somewhere else in some other form that either we're unaware of or that we haven't figured out how to tap into or, or whatever uh, and you could have some interesting discussions and we're not going to today but you can have some interesting discussions about like our um our divine soul, you know, um, like the part of us who knows all that transcends time and history and all that. And the chances are likely that they would know it all, you know, all things. Um, and I guess, you know, from a, a genetic engineering perspective, it makes sense to build in uh, forgetfulness uh, and to build in um, you know, memory loss, if you want to call it that, because imagine if, imagine if reincarnation is really a thing, which I'm definitely leaning in that, that fashion. So let's just say that it is. And let's say that you or I have lived 20 lifetimes 
And, you know, we'll just keep it generic and simple and say that all 20 of those lifetimes happened on this planet. Although I think there's some pretty good arguments to state that there's a lot of different planets out there with humans on them and we could have experienced life on those as well. But we'll just keep it simple. So we've lived 20 lifetimes. So maybe, you know, based on some of my own personal regression and memories and weird dreams and stuff like that, let's say that, um, you know, I was something in Egypt at some point or another. You know, I'm not going to say I was a pharaoh. Like, freaking everybody thinks that they're, like, always a king or queen or a pharaoh. Well, there can only be, like, one, you know, out of a million. So, you know, I could have been anybody. Uh, but let's say that I was. And let's say that I was an orator in, in uh, the Greek Senate back in the day. And that, you know, I was uh, a Frenchman in the First World War or something like that, you know, and that I was some dude, you know, um, a Mexican overlord, you know, uh, back in the day, and that I was a Native American chief at some point, you know, so you have all these different things that I could have been, let's say. Now, let's uh, just, for grins and giggles, think about the idea of if I remembered my entire lifetime for all those different lifetimes. <laughs> how possible do you think would it be for me today to actually be a functional human being with that level of memory, you know, and all those experiences and all of that kind of stuff? It would be extremely challenging, I would think, you know. I mean, let's say that history wasn't forgotten, that all of us remembered everything from past lives, from our relatives. I mean, just even that. I mean, imagine if you remembered everything from every relative that contributed DNA to you. You know, as I mentioned, 50 generations back, you're talking a billion people. I think I said a million before, but it's actually a billion. And if you go back 75 generations, I think it's um, 55 billion people that have contributed DNA, uh, which is insane, you know, because you're Obviously, back that far, there weren't that many people living on the planet. But whenever you go through the generations of time, you know, which I actually have a, a genealogy line. Uh, one of my genealogy lines actually goes back 75 generations. And uh, so it goes back to 1020 AD. And most of that research was done by somebody else, not by me. Um, but it's really crazy to look at the list of names and think they all contributed to who I am today. And they obviously didn't know who I was, you know, wasn't some dude in the 1200 saying, I got to live through today's battle because, you know, a thousand plus years from now or whatever, <laughs> I'm going to have a relative come along and he needs to come onto this planet. So I got to get this right. Like nobody thinks that way. And, you know, we kind of live to uh, live life through um, the appearances of happenstance, you know, whether they're, you know, there really is more to it or not. You know, it's hard to say, but we just kind of 
live life through happenstance and through seemingly random sets of circumstances over the course of generation after generation, all of that took place just for us to be on the planet now, today. Um, and, you know, whenever you start talking about things like that, it all seems a little suspect to me. You know, you think about the randomness that takes place that were one little thing to change, everything would be different for you and I um, as individuals, right? If just one hookup didn't take place, things would be radically different, right? Um, theoretically, we would not be here. Um, if physical genetics has anything to do with it, you know, uh, as spirit people, we would probably be here. We, um, probably come regardless, might look different, you know, or whatever. Um, so it wouldn't be, you know, me, Tony, balding, 56 year old aging man, you know, toy guy and, you know, <laughs> married to Kristen, you know, I could be on a completely different country, you know, maybe living as a woman, who the hell knows? Um, <laughs> if just one random thing happened differently. So, you know, we're told that there's this wonderful mix of randomness that led to who we are today. And then conveniently, we can't remember any of it. Um, <laughs> but yet we're told that, you know, humans have been around for, they don't even know how long for real. It keeps getting pushed back further and further and further. Um, and that, that just looks at the natural course of things. That doesn't even factor in aliens or, you know, people from other planets or different gods or even God himself, the Christian God, doesn't really factor in a lot of that kind of stuff. So um, there's so many freaking variables to all of this, and it all seems suspect to me. Like, how convenient that we come together, you know, we come to be through a quote-unquote random set of circumstances over thousands of years. How convenient. And then we can't remember any of it, you know. Um, it's almost like our lives are the result of a, a, a Ponzi scheme of genetics um, that nobody knows what's going on except for the people who are playing the game. Um, and so it's curious to think about for me. In the meantime... Um, I'm compelled to, to do what I do, you know, to not so much like, you know, I, I was just, I was going to say to hunt for the treasure that's still hidden, but, um, I'm not so much compelled about treasure hunts, you know, cause you know, I recently got a metal detector again and, um, it's not so much to find the treasure, although that certainly would be fun and cool. It's about the, the experience of it all you know, uh, for me anyway, um, it's about the research. It's about peeling back the layers of time, digging into the forgotten history, um, you know, bringing to life again, that which was forgotten and seeing if there's something to it and really getting to the truth of what happened. Because in many respects, you know, they, there's the saying that, um, you know, 
I forget exactly how it's worded now, but that history is recorded by the victors, right? Um, which means that it's told in some very unique ways. And I actually just encountered this in researching my local town um, where uh, there was a, a gentleman who wrote about the burning of Chambersburg the year after it happened. And then um, four years after it happened, he did a revised division revision and he reached out to other people um, to get their input on their and their perspective and experience on what happened. And most of it was kind of consistent in how it was described and, you know, the points of view, of course, everybody in Chambersburg were the victims and all of that. But, uh, and even, you know, the uh, general who led the charge, he uh, got a written testimony from him. And I mean, the guy was pretty much brash. He's like, look, it happened. I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I would do it again. And the reason why is because, you know, you call me a criminal for burning your town, but yet, you know, what about the union guy uh, who was going around Virginia burning towns and killing wives and children and all of that? Um, General Hunter, I believe was his name. So the burning of Chambersburg was just essentially happened in response to what was being done in the South. Um, and so one of the interesting um, testimonies that this guy, um, the author of the book, received was from a Confederate soldier who was here in the town when the burning took place. And he participated in it very reluctantly. There were a lot of the Confederates that actually did not want to torch the town. Um, and so they were very remorseful and apologetic and everything. But what's interesting is his version of the story, his version of history. Like if history is history, then it's all the same. Not hardly. Um, and his version was completely different in some respects. And it was kind of funny how he worded it because he's like, you know, I have a lot of respect for, you know, Dr. So-and-so who, you know, was the one that wrote the original book about the accounting of it. And a lot of things happened the way he said. However, <laughs> there were a few things that he embellished for the sake of good storytelling that really didn't play out that way. And then he went and told his version. And it was just kind of funny. It was the first time I had ever read it. And it was just kind of funny to see how different points of view and different social standings and all of that created a history that wasn't the same. So, you know, if you think about it in some respects, history really is from um, uh, and how it happened is from the eyes of the viewer, from the participant. You know, because I read a lot of newspaper articles that were written like the day after it happened or a week after it happened. And, you know, there's some very interesting uh, disparity uh, between those articles. Um, but it comes down to that, you know. And, and so, you know, you think about your own life. We live through an event. Let's say it's a traumatic event. Uh, and it involves another person. You know, maybe somebody beats the stuffings out of you or whatever. And, uh, 
or, you know, worse, it, it could be a crime or whatever. So you have like what actually took place from an independent point of view. So a non-observer point of view, you have the act that took place. What you uh, also have, however, is let's say that somebody shot somebody else. Okay. So you have the shooter's point of view from the perspective of motive. You have the shooter's point of view from their knowledge of the individual, um, their emotional response to what happened or remorse in some cases. You have the person who was shot their point of view of the events leading up to it and uh were they in uh you know intertwined or not was it a random act or not then let's say that there was a witness who saw the shooting take place okay so it's one event that happened but all of a sudden now you have all these different points of view that are recording history and they're all going to vary so what is the real history well, real history, you could argue, is actually the uh, non-objective or the completely objective point of view of non-participants. But the only problem is there's no way to get at that point of view because the only way that we can possibly see any history is through the eyes of somebody who experiences it. So... History is about as subjective as anything. And so we may never really ever know what true history is. Like I'm watching, you know, I mentioned Kristen and I have been watching um, The Last Kingdom, you know, so it happened in the 800s. And as they have the show on pretty much every week, I'll go online and Google like some of the events that they show and they're staying pretty darn close to history, but they're taking creative um liberties because we don't know what the dialogue was you know yeah okay there's this battle that takes place between uh king albert and his army and some of the vikings that have come in you know trying to take london um so we know those events took place because they were recorded and they had scribes that were constantly recording everything but we don't know what was going through the king's mind. We don't know what was going through the minds and the experiences of all of his soldiers, much less the Vikings. And what about their histories, where they even came from, why they were in that spot at that moment, like what took place? Like all of that history is pretty much gone except for highlights. And even if we knew it, it would be subjective. The Viking version of that battle would be much different than the English version or the Wessex version of that battle, right? And if you drill down to the individual, that history is different again. You know, on like a common soldier versus from the king's perspective. So, what does that have to do with everything, with anything today? I think it has nothing to do with today, and it has everything to do with today. Um, Steve says, if we don't learn or remember history, we're likely or doomed to repeat it. And of course, that's definitely the case, you know, because history does repeat itself. And I don't know. I don't know that I want to repeat history. I don't know if I can stop history from being repeated, though. 
you know, so for me, um, I guess where I am with it all is that it's great entertainment at best, <laughs> you know, just to kind of get to the core of things. Um, but you know, it's just a, for me, it's another one of those things that just kind of compels me. Um, now I can say that the more you peer into the past and really study it from a research perspective, um, there are some very curious lessons in there that can be applied to modern times, even from the perspective of business and product creation and stuff like that. Um, I'm starting to really gain some insights into how old knowledge and ancient knowledge can be leveraged in some very powerful ways in modern times. And uh, so I don't know what your thoughts or experiences are about that, but um, that's my thoughts on it. And Jess says, in Deadwood, South Dakota, you can go downstairs and stand in the very place where Wild Bill Hickok was shot. <laughs> and he also says, yeah, where did all that dirt come from? Exactly. There's a lot of weird things like that. And Steve also asks, did you see the 2014 movie Lucy? It brings up all these history issues via new genetically engineered drug. I did. I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was well done. Very curious perspective on things. And William says, what is true is by its very nature, very subjective. Facts and the truth are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I, that's exactly what I was thinking, but didn't word that way. Facts versus truth. Um, unfortunately, we put them together more often than not. Right. Exactly. Well put. Liz says, my uncle remembers very vividly a past life. Um, I, you know, regression is something that I've, I've only done once. And I think I've shared my experiences before. Um, it was crazy uh, because, like, I went into it wanting to experience it, but tending to analyze and overanalyze what, the, what was going on. And so, you know, most of the time I'm thinking, this isn't working, this isn't working, I can't be hypnotized, you know, all of that. And it's just like, seemed forever. Then all of a sudden, it's like this, it's like I watched this movie playing out and I knew who the people were in the movie. And... I knew one of them was me, and in one case, one of them was a close friend of mine. And I was bouncing back and forth through different points of time, and I had made this massive mistaken judgment uh, earlier in my years. And then um, later I was lamenting to my friend, not understanding how I could have been so wrong. But the, the weird thing about it was, like, I wasn't trying to think of anything. It just just kind of, like, started playing. But the weird thing that I remember about it was that it was the emotion behind it. Like, I could feel the emotion behind it. 
which was really odd to me uh, and very, well, emotional. <laughs> in every one of the <clears throat> experiences that I had, like it was one right after another because the gal who was guiding me, you know, was pushing me into other areas. Like, it's time to leave that. I want you to allow yourself to go to another time. You know, so it wasn't like suggestion or anything like that. Uh, it was just kind of what popped up. And so in that experience, like I saw, uh, you know, a couple of video snapshots of me as a, um, like a, a Greek philosopher or something uh, arguing before the courts. Um, and then in another one, I was a Native American chief in prison um, lamenting over the loss of my land and people and how there was nothing I could do about it. They were all gone. And then there was another one where I was actually a nurse and um, there was this person who was dying and they had their head laying on my lap. And I mean, I can still see all of these things as clearly as when I experienced it the first time, which is eight or nine years ago. Um, but they were really interesting experiences primarily because whether they were old memories of me in that life, I can't say for sure. I mean, how the hell do you verify that? But um, in the moment that they were taking place, they seemed like a memory because, you know, the experience felt real. The emotions felt real. All of it was very bizarre. So I've wanted to try it again just to go back. But I've also had dreams that had that feeling. You know, there's different, there's differences in the types of dreams that we can have. And, um, there's been a couple dreams where I, where I've seen different snapshots of very specific life, lives. And, um, I can't explain it. I mean, I, I just really can't explain those experiences, but there's at least, I guess, counting the regression and the different dreams I had, there's at least um, seven different experiences like that. We could call them lifetimes for the sake of reference that I've gotten um, snapshots into that I can't explain. It could be nothing. It could be me in another time. I mean, who the hell knows? Uh, I don't spend time obsessing over it one way or another. I find it, I find it interesting. Like I am through and through a researcher. So to me, I find it as fascinating data, you know, to process with all the other data that I've gotten. And then I'll, like I'm smart enough to know that my conscious mind can't make really good conclusions. So I just let my subconscious cook on it and connect those dots in ways that I never could consciously. Um, and so who knows what would come out of all of that, you know? Um, and I also find it fascinating, like how we have certain draws towards certain things, you know, like, um, like you hear bagpipes, for instance, except that, you know, you grew up in the U.S. or you grew up in Australia or whatever, not really around that. And 
you know, maybe your family is Irish or has Irish heritage or whatever, or Scottish, you know, uh, but you not really thought about it. You've not really researched it. You just know that it's there because that's what you've been told by your parents or grandparents. And then you hear bagpipes and there's something hauntingly familiar about it that you love and you can't explain it, you know? That's where I think some of this forgotten history can come back into play. It calls to us, at least to me it does. I feel like it calls to me somehow uh, to come and investigate. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to find. I hope somewhere along the line in my discovery, I find more than just a bunch of great stories. It'd be kind of cool to find a ton of gold or something like that, you know couple thousand buried gold coins in a couple jars or something. I mean, that'd be kind of fun. Um, but even if that never occurs, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's just very, very curious to me. Yeah, and Steve says some of our interest, hobbies, natural talents could be from previous lives. And he, he uh, positions that as question. Yeah, exactly right. I think that that totally could be the case. It's hard to say. Again, we have no way of, of qualifying or quantifying those results. In a few cases with past life experiences, they have been able to qualify it. You know, where they've been able to, com uh, you know, to track down the person that, you know, the memories are coming up with somebody new. Like somebody says, you know, I was a World War II pilot. And they're actually able to find the pilot and learn things about his life. And they're spot on to the memories that are being shared by a child. You know, that's just beyond, you know, beyond explanation. It really does live, uh, lead credence to the argument that it is a thing. But for most of us, it's really hard to say that. Uh, Liz says, fascinating, Tony. It is. It is fascinating. Um, and Steve asked, have you ever been to Crazy Horse Mountain Monument in South Dakota? I have not. I've been to South Dakota a few times, but um, um, both times I was there, I was like on assignment shooting um, photos and video for a documentary. And so I didn't really have a lot of time to explore. But... It's definitely a place that I would love to explore more, for sure. Uh, Mary says, I think the memories and emotions of our ancestors are stored in our DNA, and we are retreading it in order to heal it. My twin daughters used to remember a past life in 1948 in another country and told us many details which we learned later were true. They were six years old at the time. Very interesting. That's really cool, Mary. You've had a lot of interesting experiences. <laughs> uh, Liz says, it definitely calls. Yeah, and she's shared, uh, my late husband and I, um, uh, it was a, 
her late husband was and she became a land surveyor. So it opened up an entire new world to me when they met. I bet that would be really fascinating to do that kind of stuff. Like whenever I was a kid and you know how they ask you like leading up to high school and everything, what you want to be when you grow up. For me, it came down to, um, primarily it came down to archeology span and photography, one or the other. And, um, of course, my parents seemed to believe that neither one of them was actually going to pay me enough money to actually live on, <laughs> you know. Um, so I got the starving artist speech, but I guess I also got the starving archaeologist speech because, well, I didn't become an archaeologist. But um, ultimately, I did, did end up being an artist and did end up doing a lot of archaeology and historical research. So I guess at the end, I win. <laughs> but um, it, it's just kind of curious, you know, the interest that we have and um, giving ourselves permission to allow that to play out. Because I think, you know, I watch my grandchildren now and their interest. And Maya, you know, she's of the age where she cycles through a lot of different interests and she wants to try everything and all of that. And because of how I raised my daughter, she encourages Maya to, to explore it all, which is what we did with our kids. And I think it's important because, you know, like we've been talking about, you know, Steve asking whether, you know, all of that comes forward. Um, like our hobbies and interests and stuff. I believe that it really could. And so, you know, chances are that those interests that are forming in Maya right now, granted, there's going to be outside input to that. But it'll be really curious to watch her grow up and see what her interests are, you know, 15 years from now when she's in her early 20s. Um, it'll be really curious. And hopefully... I'll be around. I, I'm pretty sure I will be 15 years from now. Um, but it'll be curious just to see that play out, you know, because as an observer and obviously her grandfather, I'm in a unique position to watch objectively over time, see how this plays out from a genetic perspective, from a family input perspective and so on. So it'll be very interesting. All right, folks. Well, that's all that I have for today. Um, thank you once again for joining me and, um, I'll get the uh, recording sorted out right now. Last week and the week before are online now. Hooray. But, um, I think one of them was from November and the beginning of December. I think, that's where the two missing ones are from. So I'm going to try to sort through that and uh, get that all figured out. But again, thanks for joining me. I'll see you all next Tuesday. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. I just noticed a comment from Mark. So I'll share this real quick. Uh, he said, I got a little freaked out when I did a hypnoregression. When I was a teenager, I had been taught self-hypnosis to help me sleep for several years by then. Uh, it was like a montage from 20 or so different movies. 
that I had seen before but didn't really remember. I seemed to focus on what was being looked at and the feelings it evoked instead of the person. So it was a wash of emotions with familiar yet not locations. It was draining and I have not had the opportunity again. Yeah, I haven't had the experience quite like that. Um, although um, one of the dreams that I had um, where I've seen different parts of um, this person's life was um, it may very well have been the last experience that I had as a person, but I was, um, uh, I was in Mexico and the leader of like a crime family or something from this dream that I remember, it was incredibly powerful, um, cause all the emotions behind it were there. And I was actually executed by, um, U.S. government people, you know, in this dream. I never researched it uh, just because it freaked me out a little, like you said. Uh, but I I saw what I looked like. I felt all like I felt the knowledge in that context, like I knew everything that this person knew and um, the emotions of the time. And I mean, I, it's like I was kind of watching the scene from a third person perspective, but yet I was inside this dude's head, you know, so thinking the thoughts, saying what he was saying, all that kind of stuff. It was a really weird experience. And so I made the mistake of telling it to one of my friends uh, later on after it happened. And he's like, so are you telling me that you were like a former drug lord? <laughs> And I'm like, well, I don't know that I'm saying that. And he's like, well, no wonder you're going through some of the stuff you're going through in your life now. You have a lot to, you know, <laughs> make up for. Um, you know, karma being the bitch and all. Uh, so, I don't know. It could have just been a weird dream. But, anywho. Uh, Marcy, there will be a replay. And I'll, I'll do my best to get that up um, in the next day or two. For this, I am recording all of them, of course. So, anywho, thank you all very much um, once again, and we will reconvene here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern.